Uh, this past week, I was in Boise with the whole area uh, of pastors around the Boise area, several, quite a few Calvary chapels around Boise. Um, I was invited to come to that meeting, and I really didn't know anybody in Boise. I've talked to a couple of the pastors on the phone before, but I walked in and a man said, I know you. Um, he had just moved two hours outside of Boise to plant a church, but I first met him in 1986 when I went to Hawaii to do outreach and ministry, and his father pastors Calvary Chapel, one of the Calvary chapels in, in Hawaii, and I've seen him several times. So it's interesting how small this world is. And so... Um, just pray for those pastors. I'm going to actually make a trip again this week and see a couple more of them again. But on Tuesday, I want you to put on your prayer list, we are hosting about 25 pastors and leaders from this area, Calvary Chapels in Oregon, to do a leadership training. And this is something that I do when I travel and I train pastors and staff um, I was once the young pastor who was always struggling to figure out how to lead a church. I could teach Bible studies, but learning how to lead an organization and get things working together in a way that's productive is, an, is this great mystery. Leadership. There are thousands and thousands of leadership books out there. I typed into Amazon uh, books once, leadership books. I got over 60,000 books on leadership that came up. So um, this is what I do, and I've, it's been helpful for a lot of churches that I go visit. And so we are going to host them here. If you just be praying for them, we're going to have from 10 to 2. Um, Tuesday, if any of you would like to come and sit in on it, you're welcome to do that. Um, that would be great as well. If, and Kelsey and Tanner are putting together details. And if you want to help them with serving and just any last details, that would be wonderful as well. But I want to pray for those leaders who are coming, that the Lord really uses it to impact. Um, I, I feel like the Lord is just using these things to impact our city as well as the state. Um, and I don't think I'm speaking too grandly, but I have that kind of faith. So, Lord, we pray you would bless those leaders that come to be with us Tuesday, that you would use that, Lord, to open their eyes to the things that maybe they struggle with or maybe they're doing right, but they're not confident about those things. And we pray that you would just Use our lives to impact Albany and the state of Oregon. My visit with the pastors in Boise. And Lord, to increase our faith that our giftings and the ways that you've gifted each of us are significant and important. And to be excited about how you are going to direct our lives. Now, this morning, as we open Luke's gospel, Lord, and your triumphant entry, Lord, open our eyes to see things we haven't seen before, to 
to expect things we've always been passive about, that it's time. It's time to receive what you're doing. We ask in your name, amen. Let's open our Bibles to Luke 19. We're gonna get to my notes that I didn't get to last week because I went off on a, don't say tangent. It was the Lord's tangent. In my 30 years of being a pastor, I have done that maybe five times. And I can't remember, five times might be an exaggeration because here's the deal. I am not an abundant speaker. I can hardly find the words now. I'm not a talker. Don't ask me to stand around in a room and talk all day. If I'm going to teach anything, I need notes on a page. But it's there. It's in my mind and in my heart. And there were a couple of seed thoughts, ideas that I came with last Sunday morning. And I thought I would just mix these into the introduction of my notes and the Lord had other plans. Even as I started, a whole new outline just kind of was there. And that kind of relates to what I want to talk to you about this morning. In this triumphant entry of Jesus Christ, you know the story. This is the day Jesus officially presents himself to Israel as the Messiah. That scripture that says, this is the day the Lord has made. That is specifically talking about the day of his triumphant entry. But that could be said of any day that God wants to do a special work in your life. Now, let me ask you, do you believe that God will initiate special works in your life on any particular day? Yes or no? Okay, so now that I got that out of the way, the second question is, are you able to see it? Yes, I believe God does it. But the second question is, when God does it, am I able to see what God is doing? And the question is, we all struggle with that. The answer is we all struggle. Amen? Okay, so need you to tell the truth at the beginning of my message here. We all struggle to see that when God does something. The third question is, when you do see it, are you willing to go with it? Now you're getting really personal, Pastor Terry. I want, I want God to work, and I say, God, help me see what you're doing. But then I see it, and I go, Lord, can I think about that? Because I don't always want to cooperate with what God's doing. Amen? Are you still with me? Now, God is patient with you. God is patient with me to come up to speed. Or maybe God tells you, I'm going to do this in your life, and there might be a period of time, years even, where he's preparing you for that work. But when he finally gets around to doing it, he didn't forget. You might have forgot. but God doesn't forget, and God is always on time, even if you think God is late. And so every time I come here on a Sunday morning, I am asking the Lord, 
Lord, what do you want to do today? What do you want to do in Albany? And are we able to see it and are we ready for it? Because I want to be part of the work of God, but there may be a personal cost to me that I don't want to pay, meaning I have to set other things aside or I have to commit to serving or I have to commit to praying. Jesus said to the, some of the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So following Jesus means I have to let go of other things. And I, I want the new things. I don't want to let go of the old things. But after years and years in my life, I realize my things aren't that great. And I ultimately really just want to see God use my life. And that's where I feel like I am now at this time in my life. I started the ministry officially as a pastor in 1993, although I was serving in church years before that. So I'm 29 years. I'm 29 years old. Let's go with that. But I feel like even just now at my age, the ripe old age of 64, that I'm doing the things God has been preparing me for all these years. I'm not done. I'm just getting started. And that's amazing to see how God works like that. I meet pastors, youth pastors in their 20s. And they think that they should be a big deal by 25 or 30. And I'm saying, you know, you're just getting started. Just calm down. You don't even know anything yet. You think because you can teach a Bible study that you're God's man. You're, you're Moses out to deliver a generation. Just relax. It takes years for God to shape your life. So be urgent, but don't be impatient. That could be the title of a book. Be urgent, but don't be impatient. Be urgent about being about what the Lord is doing today, but don't be in a hurry. It, it, it could take a little time. But here's the amazing thing is that when God is ready to shift things into gear and put you into action, it could happen at any moment. So don't be passive. And it happened in 1993 when I became the pastor at Calvary Portland. It's happening now. In some ways in my life, things are coming together. But this story, I better get to my notes this week, huh? You're sitting there going, he's not even going to teach his notes today. I am. The triumphant entry, like this is a, a snapshot of God's designated moment when he's ready for things to happen. This is the day the Lord has made. We're going to pick up at Luke 1928. And the first thing I want us to see 
is that Jesus prepares himself for the day. He knows this is the day. It didn't just accidentally happen. He knows this is the day. Luke 19, 28 says that when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem and it came to pass when he drew near Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes, clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Jesus deliberately sets the day. He sets the stage, prepares himself. And as I did share last week, he knows what's coming and the cross is not a backup plan. Jesus didn't accidentally become a martyr because the people rejected him. That's how people distort the, the biblical record. Well, dying for the sins of the world, that wasn't really the plan. It's what the apostles kind of made up that story after Jesus just was martyred for his leadership. But we have Luke 18, verse 31 to 33. Jesus says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning me, concerning the Son of Man, will be accomplished. Did you hear that? All things that were written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. Now, what things? Verse 32, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles, will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Any questions? So Jesus knows what's coming, prepares himself for the day, and the donkey was important because this is how kings traveled in the nation of Israel. They weren't to acquire horses and the big show of armor. They traveled on humble donkeys. But this was predicted by the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 9.9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. The colt, a colt, the foal of a donkey, has never been ridden on before. And so they can read in various places in the writings of the prophets, they should know the day, they should know how he is coming so that this should not be missed by anybody. Second, Jesus officially presents himself to the people when he rides into town. Verse 37, then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples 
began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. You see that? All of Jesus' three-plus years of ministry has been building up to this point. Everyone knows by now all of the miracles that Jesus has done. Those miracles were described by the prophets, opening the eyes of the blind, cleansing the leper, raising the dead. They were so specific that they would know, even before this moment, who the Messiah is. Verse 38, and they shouted, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. This is the only time that Jesus publicly allows adoration. In all of his ministry, when people would worship him, he would tell them not to do that. If he would heal someone, he would say, don't go tell anybody, just go home and tell your family. Or if he cleanses a leper, just go show yourself to the priest. Story after story in the Gospels, where Jesus doesn't allow public adoration. Why? It wasn't time. Even when he when Mary, his own mother, asked for him to, to prepare wine or make some wine, he, and he says, what did he, you remember what he said? It's not my time yet. Doing this miracle is going to move things along. So Jesus slowed things down. But he allows the worship this time for two reasons. One, this is the time. This is the day that was predicted that this is what would happen. I've been over it before. It's in Daniel 9, the 70 weeks of Daniel. I'm not going to take the time uh, to look at that today. But the exact day of the triumphal entry was predicted 483. Uh, it, it, it didn't wasn't predicted 483 years later uh, before, but it was predicted by Daniel during the Babylonian captivity he began to pray, and the Lord told him that once the command is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, from that day forward, it would be 483 years. Now, just quickly, it was Artaxerxes that gave the command. It was March 14th, 445 BC. It's 483 years, which is 69 weeks of years, uh, this is the math part. I'll do it really fast. It's called the 70 weeks of Daniel because the final week or the final seven-year period is what we call the Great Tribulation. But it would stop after 69 weeks. In the Old Testament, it's a week of years, not a week of days. So the command is given March 14, 445 B.C. Start the clock. 69 times 7 is 483, 483 times 360-day years, you get 173,880 days. Did you write that down? 
173,880 days. The only reason I know it is because I'm really smart. No, I've just had to teach it so many times. Um, it's just gotten burned into my memory. Um, so here's the thing. The command was given. We know when it, the clock starts. All you have to do is count forward 173,880 days and know that the Messiah is going to show up. I'm surprised that there weren't other fake messiahs showing up because the prophecy was so clear, going, no, I'm the Messiah. No, I'm the Messiah. But Jesus was the only one riding in on a colt, the foal of a donkey, on the exact day predicted by Daniel while he was still in Babylonian captivity. The reaction of the people was also predicted. Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save now. It's, it's such a familiar, familiar verse in the Bible. But Jesus presents himself on this day. It is the day in God's timeline. It is the day predicted. It is the day to worship him. It is the day to receive him if the people are willing. That's the question. Are they able to see what God is doing? Are they willing to receive what God is doing? What's their reaction? They shout Hosanna, throw their palm branches and clothes on the road, and at first impression you think, wow, Israel is ready. They're kind of like us, aren't they? Excited to see what God is doing, but just days later, they will completely forget, and the rejoicing turns to rejection. The rejoicing turns to rejection. The Jewish leaders tell him to tell the people to stop, and he says, even if they stop, the stones will cry out. Now, how many of you have ever been to Israel? Anybody here? If you go to Israel, you know what you spend your time doing? Traveling from site to site looking at rocks. This site, this is the ruins of this. Go to this site, this is where Gideon brought the men. And, and the tour guides are telling you about these sites and the ruins and the testimony of what Jesus did. It literally is like the rocks are testifying to us of what the Lord has done. Even tour guides who are not believers, and many of them who are even Muslims, are telling Christian tour, tours about Jesus. The irony of it is really, really amazing. Jesus will be crucified on Passover. Why? Because he is the Passover lamb. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He must be crucified on Passover. 
or he doesn't fit the, the picture. There's more to this. The soldiers would normally break the legs of those criminals on the cross. When they came to Jesus, they didn't break his legs because Jesus was already dead. If the soldier had broken the legs of Jesus to hurry along death, that would have also proven that he wasn't the Messiah because the Bible says that not one bone of him would be broken. We go prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, and every detail is so so to the, to the letter. Why? To help us be confident that Jesus is the Son of God. There's no question. There is no question. Technically, Jesus died of a ruptured heart when the soldier put the, the spear in his side and out came his, from his side a mixture of water and blood. Do you know this story? The soldier did us a, a favor because it told us the physical death of Jesus. What happened was the pericard, his rupture, his heart ruptured and filled the pericardial sac around his heart with that mixture of water and blood. Jesus literally died of a broken heart, physically died. And in spite of the overwhelming evidence that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, he knows they're not going to receive him. And so picking up at verse 41, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. As he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the day of your visitation. God save us, and when he comes to save us, we can't see it. Isn't that sad? They can't see it. Now, as easy as it is for you and I to be judgmental of them, the truth is we do the same thing. But that's why it's so helpful for us to study the Bible, because we see ourselves in it. We're the crowds who rejoice one day and turn around and go another way the next day. In benevolence, they, were do they rejected Jesus to release Barabbas, and they felt like they were doing a noble, noble deed. And Satan always offers us some noble deed if we'll turn away from Jesus. We could go on and on with the applications of these stories. And I shared last week, I think, that Barabbas' first name was Jesus. Barabbas, uh, Jesus Barabbas, Barabba, son of the Father. He was a literally a fake substitute Jesus, a picture of the Antichrist, a criminal that the people will choose to follow. Because the people don't recognize and receive Jesus, 
their eyes will be blinded, which really it's a willful blinding. But if there's a willful turning away from the Lord, it does have also consequences for you personally to have shut down your heart from receiving the Lord. But Israel will be destroyed, and that happened in 70 AD when the general Titus Aspasian brought troops into Jerusalem, torched the city. They weren't supposed to burn the temple, but a soldier shot a flaming arrow through a window in the temple, and everything inside of it, the furniture, burned so hot that the gold artifacts inside the temple melted and it ran between the cracks in the stones in the temple. And what did they do to get the gold out? They took every stone down from upon each other. This is not hyperbole when Jesus says, not one stone will be left upon another. It's literally what will happen. Why? Why would they even do that? There's, there's no reason for the Romans to take down each stone unless they're greedy and want to get to the gold. Have you heard these stories before? I feel like I say that every week. And I'm telling you these things so that you will become excited to study the Bible on your own. Guess what? You're, you're allowed to read the Bible and even buy commentaries on your own. You don't need a special pastor permit from me. I don't think I ever read a book my whole life until my eyes were open to these things. Under Pastor Chuck, I, Chuck was my pastor. Every Sunday morning was like going to Bible school. And before that, I had an amazing pastor, George Wood, um, who married my wife and I. He became the president of the Assemblies of God denomination. But they were both amazing Bible teachers. And I suddenly discovered I love to study the Bible. Can you tell? I'm afraid I'm going to do a data dump and give you too much information, but that's just tough because that's who I am. I'm, I'm holding back because the clock is ticking away. Buy some commentaries, and I can tell you what to buy. But the history of these things and the fulfilling of prophecy gives us confidence to, to not hold back from trusting the Lord. Now, when you see the Lord working in your life, don't hold back. Know that you can trust him because he is working things out. I'll just touch on this last part at the end of the chapter, which really happens the next day after the triumphant entry, is when Jesus goes to the temple to cleanse the temple of the money changers. It picks up at verse 45. It says, he went to the temple, began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but when the chief priests and scribes, the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything for all the people were very attentive to hear him. This is the second time Jesus turns the tables over in the temple to cleanse it. And he's doing it not only to cleanse the temple, but to intentionally provoke the spiritual leaders. This is intentional. 
because this is going to accelerate things to the, the betrayal, the cross, the crucifixion. We're in the final days before the cross. This story is amazing, this scene, because in the temple would be various courtyards that would all lead to more and more inner areas of the temple all the way to the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go once, one day a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. But at the very outer courtyards, there was like a courtyard where even Gentiles could come. And they could come inside and they could go no further, but in that area, it would allow them to watch and to see what was going on on some of the temple grounds. And then there was another courtyard in, in her that was a little farther for the women because they were a little more special than Gentiles. And then men could go a little farther. But in this courtyard of the Gentiles that was supposed to be a place where Gentiles could see, that had been turned into a marketplace. And in that marketplace is where worshipers, Jews, could come and buy a sacrifice or exchange a Roman coin for a temple coin, and they could somehow buy or exchange what they needed to come before God. And in this necessary thing of buying a sacrifice or exchanging their Roman money for a temple coin, they had turned it into a profit-making business. Does that sound familiar? We come to church together, and how often have many churches turned it into a profit-making venture? Instead of a place where we can worship and even non-believers can come and watch. But how many times do people say, well, I'm not going to church. It's all about money. They've turned it into money. As if that discredits the whole thing. You know what I say to those people? Well, I'm not going to church. It's just all about money. I say, you know, there's bad doctors and there's corrupt doctors out there. Does that discredit all medicine and all doctors? Yes, there's corruption in, in religion and in church, but that doesn't disprove the Bible. You just need to be careful. And in fact, of all of the New Testament books, everyone except one has a warning to watch out for the fakes. Everyone except Philemon tells you, be careful. Watch out for fake gospels, fake preachers, fake Christians. Um, it just goes on and on. Watch out. So you and I watch out for the fakes. But when we see the real work of God, grab a hold of it. Grab a hold of it. Let's stand together, and I just want to exhort you with a couple of questions as we wrap this thing up. As I began with, do you want God to work in your life today? Are you able to see what that is? Maybe it's just a, a, 
a word spoken to you this morning that I happen to share, or maybe just something that came to your mind during the message or in a passing conversation, and it just really pierced your heart. Are you willing to do what the Lord is asking you to do? And as we close in prayer today, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. And if you need them to pray for you, then come forward and just say, I feel like the Lord is speaking to me today, or I have this issue in my life. Would you pray for me? Or even right where you are in your seat, what are you going to do with what the Lord is speaking to you today? If you say, If all you do is say, wow, that was an amazing service today. Love that message. Pastor Terry was on fire. I know you say that every week. You do, don't you? Just say, all all I want is to get your attention and for you to hear from the Lord. And I'm confident that all the rest of the week, the Lord is going to continue what he's doing here. There might be some changes that need to happen. But it's safe. It's safe. 